0: Wow! Yeah, it's welcome, like a Wayne song. <laughs> Can the headphones go louder, please? Yeah, turn me up in the studio. This is uh, a, a new podcast entitled Hot the Cinema. Um, I'm gonna <laughs> do a little cough because I just took a big old rip of my yeah. kind of damp and mildewy bong. Um, mm. Yeah got yeah. some nice little flavor in there. I am smoking currently on this Skywalker Alien. The finest mid you will you will ever smoke this side of the Mississippi. Both sides of the Mississippi and the Mason Dixon line. Skywalker Alien. What a name. Skywalker Alien. Yep. I've I've hit the Skywalker OG before, but the Skywalker Alien is new to me just as this podcast is to you, friendly listener. I'm your host, Nathan Smith. You probably, if you're listening to this podcast, got here from Twitter, where you can follow me at Trillmore Girls, like the television show Gilmore Girls, but the word Trill instead of Gil. There's a real time stamp on you, I think. I know. It's one of these things that I like. I mean, mine is too. I feel a little locked into now, um, Mm -hmm. and I'm not exactly proud of that name. But it's, you just, I don't know what you do at this point in the game. It's like Lil Wayne going to Wayne, you know? Mm -hmm. You can't do it. Now he does ads for the new Ghost Recon game. Whoa, Ghost Ghost Recon. Tom Clancy, baby. I feel I should probably introduce the person that I'm talking to right now. Dear friend and also sometimes illustrious Twitter user. You're a little bit less active there these days. Yeah. Every once in a while, I have a a banger. You have a good, like, Joker meme up there right now uh, that people can go look at. At ASAP Sunscreen, Seth Shepard, how are you doing? Hello.
1: Earlier, I mentioned that my Twitter name is a bit of a timestamp on me, too. It is. The ASAP thing. Because it makes it seem like I love the ASAP mob. But I just made it one day, like, five years ago. But, I mean, did you like the
0: ASAP mob (laughs) at that time when you made that Twitter handle?
1: Like, as much as everybody else did, I feel like.
0: Yeah. It was a time. It was a very distinct time. Um yeah, yeah all of the That's ASAPs. True. ASAP uh ant ASAP It's what twelve E is one of them. Twelve E Bari or something. Who is Goodness. We don't talk about anymore. Ferg. Yeah. Who I really liked Rocky. at one point in time. And of course ASAP Rocky.
1: That last album, ASAP Rocky Made, was the thing that made me realize I don't think I want to be associated with...
0: (laughs) (laughs) You don't like the Moby sample? Testing. Testing. He's really testing our patience with that one. I -hmm. think. Um, So, I figure uh, you're probably wondering, if you clicked on this podcast, why you should be listening to it. Yeah. In case of the new podcast blues. (laughs) Exactly. Like... And I, I think I have to confess that, honestly, I do not listen to that many podcasts. I just listen to, like, one that I've been listening to for years, and that's, like,
1: it. I'm not on the market for a new one. Yet you here you are on one, on yeah. a new one.
0: I put myself on the market. <laughs> <laughs> I co-host a podcast called Cinematary, um, which has been going on for a few years now. I'm on, like, every other other episode, um, but I've been on a lot recently just because I'm, like not full-time employed right now so i have more time to watch movies and talk about them in front of a laptop for a few hours once a week but for a while now i've kind of had this idea of breaking off doing my own solo venture pulling a zane perhaps if you will um, Mm -hmm. though i'm still a fully active member of the cinematary crew i you know had this kind of first i had the title for for the show which was originally going to be hotbox the art house I remember you talking about it for a very long time. Oh, yeah. I think for just saying the name years, I have had this name now um, since at least probably 2015 or 16, I think. But I decided to broaden it out a little bit (laughs) to hotbox the cinema, make it a little bit more appealing to the folks at home. And basically what this is, is not only a place for me and others to sit and talk about moving images and motion pictures and smoke a little bit of doobage at the same time i kind of wanted to take like weed as perhaps the defining metaphor of the show perhaps getting stoned is not something that you do just to yourself but uh it's something that you do to a movie as well I, in kind of trying to figure out a thesis for the show, I remembered this article from a few years ago called A Teen's Guide to Stoner Cinema that was published uh, in the New Inquiry by this anonymous person named Dr. Teens, who I I have no idea who this person is. Maybe it's somebody that I know, actually, and maybe Dr. Teens is listening right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Whoever Dr. Teens happens to be, this is a really great article, which I will link to, I guess, in the description in the show notes. It is a sort of attempt to define stoner cinema, um, which, you know, most people, I think, take as kind of a straight-up genre. The Cheech and Chong movies, Half-Baked, Smiley Face, Inherent Vice. Pineapple Express. Absolutely. Um... All the Rogans, you know. Big Lebowski. Just movies where people smoke weed. Exactly. Uh, What was that one? Grandma's Boy? Oh, (laughs) my God. I remember back in my early internet days on on StarWars.com seeing like banner ads for Grandma's Boy all over the StarWars.com website. Mm -hmm. Anyways, so I was really kind of resonated. This article resonated with me because as somebody who is a cinephile, as a, somebody who writes about movies and images and media and all that good stuff, um, and as somebody who's also a constant stoner, um, and somebody who, as I've gotten a little bit older over the past couple of years, really started kind of leaning into stoner culture and thinking about that, I don't know, it's just like what that means as a sort of culture or identity or something. I was interested in this article because it proposes a different way of thinking about stoner cinema. The first line is, here's a quick guide to stoner cinema. Number one, get stoned. Two, watch a movie or a TV show or go online and stream, stream something. This is the guide. That is all you got to do. Um, and basically, Dr. Teens says that you know it's not about turning off your brain and dropping out and not paying attention to whatever you're watching, just sort of blunting your mental capacity. It's not about that. It's about deliberately kind of looking at something in a different way, finding a new lens to view something through, whether it's, you know, a familiar movie you've seen a million times and you want to see a little bit differently, or you know something new that you may not consider when you're in a sober state of mind, but you have a little bit more patience and interest in when your consciousness is altered in some way. So, I was sort of thinking about that as somebody who in a lot of my own movie viewing practice and in the things that I tend to write about sometimes or the things that I, you know, like to watch a lot of times it's about reconsidering and reevaluating movies that have been dismissed or overlooked in some way, things that people thought were bad at one time or trash finding some kind of productive value in those things so that I think is sort of the the thesis for the show a little bit is stoning cinema looking at it in a different way whether or not you smoke weed I, I hope that if you don't smoke weed and you are not into it uh, that you will still find something of value in this show because you know it is like I think maybe sort of the conversations I want to have are like, The kinds of conversations you have when you're high and when you're... There's not really maybe a clear end goal, but you find something interesting in the process of talking itself. I think those you don't have to be high. You just have to want to approach things a little bit differently. So I think that's what we're maybe going to try to do here. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts about that, Seth? About stoning cinema? Stoning, dubing up. I don't know.
1: I'm still not really that frequent of a midnight toker i guess but it does definitely like put you in a different mindset when you're watching a movie or something and and there are some movies that i mean i'll find myself getting pretty familiar with or i've seen it a bunch over the ages and then you find like a totally new thing in the movie to point out or a new thing in the movie to actually like you'll find something to watch the whole time that is almost a different movie than the one that you were watching originally or most of the time it just kind of makes me think about Maybe the way it was produced and put together, how that impacts the way that I'm watching it. And also, not just that, but like, I mean, especially a lot of the stuff I've been watching lately, I'll find myself thinking about, even if it's something that, you know, is uh, made in a pre-computer age or something like that, thinking about how mm-hmm. densely, like, intermediated computers are in all that stuff. I guess it's a little bit of what we we're going to talk about today in general relation to like streaming and in relation to i guess digital viewing or maybe film culture on like the internet but uh that's something that i end up thinking about kind of every time that i watch a movie now especially new stuff is just like how like the computer is such an inescapable thing in every single aspect of watching a movie these days
0: yeah i think it does sort of like you know when you alter your consciousness before watching something it does more easily allow you to i think maybe assess movies that maybe like in and of themselves as an individual sort of object or piece of art or whatever is maybe not the most interesting thing. It allows you to maybe think about it on that sort of meta level that you're talking about, you know, how it is put together and the sort of layers of reality behind it. Um, I think for me actually, like thinking about it, smoking weed and watching like older Hollywood studio movies was really crucial for me like actually figuring out how to enjoy older films Mm -hmm. Um, you know and think about it as something other than just like a historical you know duty or whatever to like watch older things and get familiar with them Uh, I remember like maybe like five or six years ago or something in college watching uh, Orson Welles's Touch of Evil and being really high and just like all of these sort of individual frames really standing out. It's a very plotty movie, but I was able to sort of like look past the plot and just focus on these kind of like individual frames and how they were constructed. Think about the depth, think about the relationship between like, you know, figures in the frame and, and kind of the the depth that's created by distance between people. Um, You know, it allows, I think sometimes like individual moments to stand out more in some way, like, you know, you find a hidden feeling in a scene or an image or something, and maybe the whole plot of the movie falls away and you can't remember the characters' names or anything else, but just, like, that one really intense image or, or whatever it is, you know, is just, like, intensified. Um, so I think that, like, that is is the sort of approach that I want to take, is, like, you know, finding the value in those sort of hidden spaces, deliberately looking at things differently, deliberately asking different questions, or just looking at films that other people have discarded. And I also want it to, I think, be as much around cinema and images and media as it is directly about that. Because when you're high, you inevitably spend a lot of time browsing and a lot of time scrolling which everybody does now, but you know, you got when you close the tabs a little bit in your brain. Uh, sometimes that process is slowed down a little bit more, um, and mm-hmm. the vibe, the specific vibe of what you've decided to watch, is a little bit more crucial. You know, I want it to be. A, I want this podcast to be about that sort of the things around cinema that affect our engagement and our interaction with it, which I think is going to segue into sort of our first topic, which is you know you had to browse to find this podcast, probably, and yeah. I wanted to have a conversation about that act of browsing, about something that we all do so much now on our many streaming platforms. Not even like on streaming platforms, but just kind of in general. Yeah. Most
1: things are a browse. I mean, not that this is like a new process. Like, I, I guess if you take like uh, food delivery apps, for example, where you're browsing the restaurants that are available, that'll deliver to you in that way or i guess if you're doing like a ride sharing app or one of these type of things you're usually browsing through several options and everything like that and that's not a new thing i mean if you years before smartphones and everything were calling a taxi you'd like browse through the yellow pages and stuff like that right and find different options but i mean with the way that technology is kind of subsumed A good bit of everyday life and now most processes are kind of offloaded on the consumer that has a smartphone anyway instead of an employee making those things available to somebody. Usually the the browse is essentially just the main way that you find most things just because now most things are you paying for access to a database that you then know how to navigate whether that's Spotify or movie streaming or I don't know it could also be another one of those kind of delivery ride-sharing any one of the, the great many apps and services that now kind of dominate civil and social interaction.
0: And as with so many things relating to newer forms of technology, you know, a lot of people act like it's a, a radical development or change in our behavior, but really it's always just, you know, like you just said, things that existed before but are now accelerated both in the speed with which we can browse Different options, mm-hmm. and just in the sum total of options that are now available, you know, yeah, um, you know, browsing the, the limited physical selection of a video store versus the meta browsing of first picking a, a streaming service between your many streaming services, and then within that streaming service, finally picking something to watch.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to say that video stores always had this curatorial like bent. They were always on. I guess that's maybe what a video store is now. The ones that are very boutique most of the time in bigger like cultural hubs. Like I don't really know that there's a, I mean, there are like some like local video stores around me in middle Tennessee, but there aren't like a crazy amount. Yeah.
0: I think that now there's this like, you know, false remembrance and impression of what that was, especially like, you know, blockbusters and, and Hollywood videos and the chains
1: They like would divide up movies by genre in the same way streaming service does. The only difference is that you would hold the box that has all the information on it instead of clicking a button and a screen presenting you with that same information. Maybe a little bit different, but also you could use your phone to maybe find more information about it. And I'm not saying that this is, I don't know, I'm just trying to dispel maybe this like false binary between the two. I'm not saying that one is good or one is bad, but it's it's not some radical development.
0: Yeah, and I think that sometimes just the sort of the really hard limits of a space like a video store gives the impression of curation more than like an endless, seemingly endless online dump of content does. Just because you know at the end of the day that somebody had to like physically arrange those and stock them on the shelves. And obviously somebody designed the streaming service interface, but just the labor is more apparent in the blockbuster because you see, you know, the teens in the blue shirts right there stocking movies. And, you know, maybe they do have the like, the staff selections or whatever, but that's still pulling from this like limited selection. um, That's always going to have a hard definition. I mean, you even see on Hulu now they have a staff pick section um, Mm. at the very end of like all of the movie genres, but it's just like, I look at it and it's like, I have no idea who this staff is. I mean, I sort of get a, some kind of idea of like who the probably millennials who work for Hulu, like what they like, you know, it's usually some kind of, popular indie or like you know recent foreign thing uh, but it's just you know it's just totally invisible you know who selected those things
1: yeah it's really funny because like on the PlayStation store on like the PS4 every once in a while like I'll get on there and just see like if there are any like demos for new games or something or like if they have a sale I'll peek through that but then sometimes I'll look at the front page and it'll have like uh, like holiday picks or like what to buy this summer or something like that and they'll like have like heads of Sony's first party mm-hmm. like the studios that they own like usually not I'm not like saying they like do this on purpose but usually promoting like a another PlayStation exclusive game and they'll have like a blurb and the picture of the person and everything so they'll have like that curatorial stuff but sometimes I'll look at it and it's like very just like the basic milk toast PS4 games you know
0: yeah, I feel like that usually is always what it ends up being It's just like whatever this the site or the service wants to promote most heavily and always ends up sprinkled in there, which is the same thing with like Netflix's personal recommendations. I feel like more than half are usually Netflix originals and I mean part of that is just because they have so much of that shit now but also it obviously it feels you know like they're advancing their own real agenda while also trying to pretend to be. You know this personal confidant that knows your taste better than you do i feel like it's less that and more they probably analyze
1: these genres that are popular within different bubbles of people and then seeing crossovers or things that could be seen as like new takes on something or an interesting take or at least like a passable and watchable thing while you look at your phone and then they'll like maybe attack certain like venn diagram centerpieces of different genres and audiences so I guess finding micro audiences rather than something that's going to be the front page, like Topwatch.
0: Yeah, I mean, that seems to be, you know, in the in the sort of what they produce and at least the very limited information that they give out about their analytics and what they're used for, you know, it does seem like, you know, they they analyze and make production and distribution choices based on, you know, those sort of sub audiences, like, you know, that is why they have their deal with Adam Sandler, because there, you know, there was just like a consistent return audience for his films on the service, switching gears a little bit, but I think related to this notion of, I don't know, ultimately, this is all kind of about access. Um, I think that one of the things that really triggered uh, wanting to talk about this for me was some of the news about Disney Plus recently and the specific tweet thread that they did recently. I don't exactly know when this episode is going to come out, so I don't want to say like last week or a few days ago or something. Yeah,
1: it was like a few days before we recorded, but it's definitely a timestamp, you know? But
0: basically, Disney Plus, you know, in, in the sort of all the hype they've been trying to generate over the past couple of months about their launch, which is at the beginning of next month, they tweeted out... Basically, every piece of intellectual property, both films and television shows, that will be on the service when it launches. You know, it was this fucking massive thread of every movie with the year in parentheses next to it and a nice little image, you know, with the title of the movie and like a picture of the, you know, the cast. Yeah, it was like the
1: rectangle, like streaming service browse tile. Yeah, which is essentially just like a new, I guess, like a a home video market version of a movie poster, just like the
0: iconic thing you see that tells you what you need to know about the movie. You know? Yeah. And it's like this, you know, this weird sort of hybrid of a poster and a screenshot, you know, that has the title and has the Disney logo and has some kind of image of like the main characters of the movie Sometimes, you know, clearly kind of like Photoshopped into a background, maybe from the movie, but, you know, it's not an exact usually image from the film. It seems kind of designed and manipulated a little bit in the the way that like, you know, an image on a poster would be. So looking at that, you and I talked about that a little bit because there was a lot of conversation about it on Twitter. You know, it's like such an interesting historical timeline almost. Starting with just, you know, the top tweet that's like, from Snow White to the Mandalorian, here's everything that's going to come to Disney Plus when it launches on uh, November 12th. And, of course, the first tweet in that thread is Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, 1937. Then Pinocchio, 1940. Swiss Family Robinson, 1940. Fantasia, et cetera, et cetera. Going, you know, all the way down until 2019. And the last thing in the thread is... The upcoming star wars original disney plus show the mandalorian and this is just like a fascinating journey through disney's history and like the history of family entertainment i guess more broadly what were some things that like just stood out to you immediately on the list as kind of weird or, or shocking in some way
1: yeah i'm scrolling through it and like it's interesting well first of all i was thinking about this as we were talking about recording this podcast and i don't know why they didn't just call it the disney honestly that's good that reference is probably lost on some people who are younger but that just seems like something you do but also i mean it doesn't even have everything like a pretty obvious exclusion and like I totally understand why Disney wouldn't put this on there but like Song of the South is not on Disney Plus so it's this weird like journey through Disney's history but a pretty incomplete journey as well
0: yeah there's a really great uh Twitter account that immediately popped up called not on Disney Plus that did a like identical thread of every Disney movie um you know Disney produced movie that is not on disney plus at least right now and i don't think that included like things made or distributed by companies that disney owns like miramax or touchstone they said that they were going to tweet some of those out and i think that they're you know getting around to that and it doesn't also have you know like a lot of the fox stuff which i think that just like some of those things are now like at least public knowledge wise people are just confused about who owns what exactly so there were a number of, you know, like you said, Song of the South. Um, and then, you know, there are more recent movies that like other people, have, other services have the rights right now, like Solo and The Incredibles 2 are on Netflix. And once that expires, you know, they'll be on Disney Plus. Um, Another one that stood out to me that's actually in the Disney
1: Plus thread, though, is White Wilderness. Yeah. Which is like the documentary about nature that walt disney got an oscar for but also it's the one where they were trying to get the first footage of the myth of lemmings committing mass suicide and whenever they put like the camera and lights around them i mean maybe a, maybe they reacted differently because all the people in weird unnatural conditions that were happening but also like they just didn't commit mass suicide so the filmmaker started throwing them off a rock to get the footage of them doing oh it anyway. my god and like that's on disney plus which actually i i'm interested to see what that would look like yeah but that i don't know there's just like a bunch of weird stuff too and also a bunch of movies i forgot about like pollyanna (laughs) and like the absent-minded professor and just shit that i would watch like at my grandmother's house
0: yeah no there's so many movies on here where it's like i remember seeing those and explicitly avoiding them at like hastings as a kid um you know stuff like the computer wore tennis shoes and uh bed knobs and broomsticks and just like these really just boring ass looking movies um like the cat from outer space. Uh, yeah, it's just oh, such a weird little trip. Um, and then up to, you know, the 2000s Disney Channel movies. It's just like strange to see uh, all of these historical divisions, linear divisions between different kinds of mediocre family oriented entertainment just like totally collapsed uh, across time in one space.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Seeing a thread where you have like I don't know, you have like the modern Disney stuff, like a lot of their new like original animations and like Star Wars, but then in like the same thread as like Ghosts of Buxley Hall and like the Apple Dumpling Game right. movies and the other Don Knotts movies that Disney made in the seventies. I don't I mean I like the honesty and everything like that. It's kinda of like a NASCAR car just like showing <laughs> everybody you get money from on your car, having a sticker on your jacket and stuff but it's in like a tweet thread. Yeah,
0: I like kind of wish that more media companies would do something like this uh, where they, you know, just tweet out like every property that they own the rights to. And it is interesting to see like as you go through this thread, you know, through the sort of thumbnail images that we're talking about, how Disney is kind of rewriting history so that everything that they now own like fits into their brand. You know, you just like, I feel like if you scroll through this kind of quickly on your phone, there are, you know, obvious like colors, that sort of kind of reappear, you know, these just like warm, friendly, you know, yellows and kind of uh, lighter colors. Yeah, or like kind of that light, like uh, Technicolor sky blue. Exactly. You know, and so you see something like the sound of music, like being kind of remade into a Disney movie, you know, or Star Wars or, you know, all of the earlier Marvel movies remade through these promotional images into Disney movies. It just scrolling through it, I was like, you know, this feels like a streaming service, this kind of paywalled streaming service where, like, I can see everything that's on it, but I can't watch it, and I can't access it.
1: But also, I mean, like, looking at it, I don't really know how many of those movies I would actually watch and I would just, like, browse through anyway. But also, I mean, that's it being on Twitter is maybe a little bit interesting because a lot of, like, Twitter use feels like browsing through stuff and maybe not really actively or honestly engaging with it, but you know, it's there and you follow the person because they're a reporter that you're interested in or because they talk about this stuff every once in a while, or you're like mutual friends with somebody else. Yeah. And so stuff will just like happen across your timeline in the same way that things will just get roped into a streaming service and you're never actually going to watch it, but it's there because of like a distribution contract or something.
0: A lot of times you you just kind of end up doing it just to do it. You know, you end up scrolling through Twitter just to like get to the 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 top of the feed again, and maybe not exactly reading every single thing, but every once in a while maybe you'll stop and something will catch your attention, um, which is you know like the experience of going on a streaming service and just browsing endlessly, and hoping that some kind of vibe stands out or hits you. And I feel I don't know why, but I feel like I've gotten really bad about that over the last year. I've just like developed a huge problem with being able to pick something on a streaming service i guess it's just like i don't know the sort of wandering surfing restlessness that that invites where there's maybe always the promise of something better or more interesting but ultimately like the thing about the disney thread and like the difference between a twitter thread and the streaming service is just the sort of like question of of paywalls twitter is this service that you scroll for air quotes free in exchange for some information but netflix is something that you pay to browse but you
1: also exchange personal information
0: throughout exactly the process, yeah it's kind of strange though because with different
1: streaming services like you will kind of get walled into a like a, a captured identity mm-hmm. that gets more accurate over time depending on if it's a shared thing or not or if it's your personal account or something like that but, like, the ones that give you advertisements are the ones that are kind of strange. It's, like, the the way they, like, individuate, you won't actually really... It becomes a little transparent when the ads are, like, actually, like, kind of relevant to you. Um, or it just becomes kind of a mindless thing. But one thing that happened recently, though, is that uh, my roommate and I got a new streaming stick box. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, like, the Amazon thing. But we got one of those. I bought it from, like, my older brother and sister-in-law. And so we were watching, like, Hulu on it and it started giving us all these ads for, like a bunch of streaming services and also like new parents <laughs> and stuff. And we were talking about it. We were like, this is really strange. I don't know why they keep giving us all this stuff. Cause we changed over all the accounts and everything. But then I realized I was like, Oh, I think there's still information on this fire mm-hmm. stick. And it still thinks that I'm my older brother and sister-in-law who have like a one-year-old kid now. And like all they do have time to do anymore is take care of their kid. And like sometimes put something on a streaming service. So every once in a while, like, it's not even on the account. It's like on the actual like device or the IP or something like that. I mean, it's something you don't really think about when the ads are like geared toward you, but when you're like in someone else's like, I guess like captured identity. Yeah. I don't know. It's easy to forget with different devices that you use and something like that. That at the end of the day, they are just like kind of a blank computer that then you personalize and everything like that. I mean, this happened when like my phone uh stopped working. I got caught in a boot loop and I had to get a new phone and had to like start customizing it again and it's really strange it wasn't like it was someone else's phone it's just it didn't have like the apps that I was using it wasn't laid out the way that I like it or anything like that or that I had liked it for a while and I don't know moments like that where you like are forced to confront the fact that the thing that you use all the time and that's in your hand and is kind of just like your blanket interaction machine is actually just like a a machine that came out of a box and it's weird to think that it could just change to someone else's at some point you know
0: yeah I a uh, a weird ad thing that i had recently was i was a few months ago for some reason like researching a little bit about the um the yellow vest protests that happened in france last year you know where like motorists were taking to the streets and like wearing yellow safety vests and that became like their kind of symbol what were they protesting just like the, the state of the neoliberal world i guess like just the, I don't know, just like bad economic policies and just general kind of class malaise, it, it seemed like. But kind of because of that, because it was sort of like a, a movement with a vague symbol and not a really like clear ideology, the sort of spinoff movements uh, around the world were like a varying political persuasion, some of them really right-wing and some not. So I don't know, I was just like researching that. And then Like a few hours later, I went to Last.fm, which I'm like the last person in the world who still actively uses Last.fm. I
1: like I check it every once in a while, but I'm not like an active like scrabble fiend.
0: I don't know why I am. I just love the data too much. I just like seeing the numbers sometimes and the rankings Mm -hmm. of all the artists I've listened to. But anyways, I got an ad for like safe yellow safety vests on last FM after researching that. And it was just like a very weird, I don't know. It's like always that kind of like confrontation, like to buy them. Yeah. Which is just like, like you're saying, you know, it's like this con weird confrontation with yourself. And like, that was just like, you know, a totally inconsequential like search, but you know, it was sort of like confronting me with my past behavior and my history a little bit, but also it
1: like was almost like suggesting that you join one of like the related branches yeah of that protest in like <laughs> this area of the world it's funny i mean it is just kind of like a blanket really generic kind of like archetypal object but also one that especially in your specific context is a really funny thing for it to recommend that you buy
0: right and then i don't know just thinking about somebody in like one of these like insane libertarians in australia who's like one of the 10 people who did the like yellow vest australia protests you know probably like clicking on an ad for a safety vest and going to amazon and then like buying that and then wearing it to protest is just kind of funny. You know, I don't know, like, you're, that that experience of being given somebody else's, like, ad-assembled identity is, um, you know, it really just reminds you, I think, of the, like, the way that, you know, algorithms and data mining produce, like, a very, very personal screen experience. Yeah.
1: And again, this, this we were talking about how things aren't really, like, new... This is also not one of those things that's new because ads literally change based on the type of person people think are watching a TV channel. You know, the target ad age for like Fox News or for like one of those like home and garden networks that they'll put on at the doctor's office or like soap operas. one of those things usually skew a bit older than like, I don't know, watching TV, which even then I'm sure that age group skews maybe older. Yeah,
0: I mean, I I grew up watching a lot of, like, old sitcoms on TV land, so I was, like, constantly seeing, like, the Scooter Store and, like, Colonial Pin Life Insurance and AARP and uh, Diabetes, you know, Life Alert commercials and stuff, and just had those, like, memorized in my brain because those were the only commercials on that channel, pretty much, because it was just, you know, assumed Mm -hmm. only old people wanting to relive uh, their younger years of, of watching television, you know, it was assumed they were the only audience for TV Land. But, yeah, no, like, that's a, I think, that's an essential point, because it is just this, like, increasingly isolated, you know, the, tar- the target demographic, just, like, shrinking down and down and down and down until it's just you, which then, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, you know, television in its, this is a totally different kind of topic, but television in its earlier years was this, just because people didn't have them all you know in their homes you know it was a communal thing where like you would go to the bar and watch whatever sporting event whatever boxing match you know on the very tiny screen way in the corner Um, and so it's just this like you know further whittling down of like the, the audience into this like total solitary experience which then like makes it weird you know, browsing a streaming service with somebody else, because then you get ads for things you've looked up. And like, maybe it's totally inconsequential, but it is still like, oh, like, you know, there's your history of looking up toilet paper or something. Um, Or like, you just even recommendations sometimes can be like a little bit embarrassing. Um, Yeah, or like, watch history, if you have like a shared account, or you're like using someone else's
1: password and have an account that you use with them, like, I don't know, seeing like somebody's watch history. Yeah. I don't think it's an embarrassing thing in the way that, like, when the internet first started and people started realizing that, well, this wasn't the first time people realized that people were weird, but it was like a new type of weird that people allowed each other to be. Yeah. And we're figuring out that everybody, I don't know, like the way that like memes started as just like really cringy, but a thing that was a communal type of experience. And now memes are so far Mm splintered off in all these different directions for all different types of like subgroups on the internet but I mean back then I remember like I don't know people being like embarrassed about really specific interests they would find on the internet but now it is almost like kind of an expectation that people like go down I mean like what the YouTube rabbit hole the whatever rabbit hole is like a common phrase these days yeah for something that people will just like do and find this thing and there's not really a shame associated with it anymore just because everybody kind of does it
0: Yeah, it's I mean, it's interesting, like, you know, Netflix instant early on did have a social component where you had like taste profiles and you could have friends and stuff. And then after they ended that, I remember a few years later, like maybe the beginning of this decade, there was a brief attempt to like integrate Netflix with Facebook. So like you watch something on Netflix and it would post to Facebook if you wanted it. I remember that. But that, you know, never really took off in the way that like music, I feel like, you know, social streaming did Um, just because it felt like part of the thing about Netflix was just that like it allowed you to watch things that you were maybe embarrassed or ashamed about. Um, But then I feel like I remember, but yeah, but I feel like it kind of had like I totally agree with you that there's like not shame anymore because I feel like shame became maybe so like codified where like it was acceptable to watch things that you felt ashamed about watching because everybody could kind of do it in their personal Netflix space. So now it's totally okay that there's no shame. People like will very commonly talk about what like Netflix and chill. Right. That's
1: like kind of an understood thing or even just like binge watching is like not yeah. It's like a very just like common thing that people will say and everybody's like, yep. That's I feel that I do like it. Yeah, everybody's like, I've done that. Yeah. But it's really strange though the word. I guess binge is like kind of an accurate word, but it's strange that now that's like the common thing that people will say instead of maybe having another verb for it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you know it's interesting because binging is like taking in, hoarding, but yeah. Netflix also wants you to whittle down your physical media collection. Um, I there's a really there's a really great example that you brought up the Marie Kondo show kind of oh, yeah. speaks for like netflix's practice itself in this regard
1: yeah well like the show like you can't there's no way for you to physically own it yeah at all or you can't even digitally own it which i guess that like it makes sense of, like the spirit of the program is you know kind of decluttering living a little more simplistically minimalist yeah minimalist and i guess minimalism always like has this like Promise of simplicity which Marie Kondo doesn't exactly like harken back to oh well back in my day it used to be like this and it was so simple but it does talk about kind of this like a bit of like a virtuous simplicity or at least a joyful one you know sparking joy is like her kind of catchphrase and everything Um, but there's no way for you to own it and I get that that's kind of in in that same spirit of the minimalist simplicity but also like it feels like a little bit in line with some of the like structure of the show and like what it walks people through in that process. Because I mean, obviously in decluttering you're going through old books you're never going to read again. You're going through old DVDs that like you accidentally like moved away and didn't give back to the person you're borrowing from. So you just accumulated all these things, but it to be a bit cynical does feel also like maybe a deployment of like Netflix and the general streaming service, all digital, all subscribed, um, unowned kind of lifestyle that a lot of these companies try to purport it does feel like a bit of like an application guide for a lot of that
0: yeah it's like no it's i mean it's this kind of this totally false minimalism because uh you know at once it's like netflix wants you to cut every all the media in your life down to the black box that allows you to watch netflix so in the literal physical sense of decluttering you know They're, like, in line with Marie Kondo's practice. But then it's maximalism in terms of consumption. Well, it's not even consumption. It's just, like,
1: like, options to be consumed. And it's very unintentionally, or at least seemingly unintentionally curated. Or I guess it's curated by business rather than, like, a. they don't really have, like, a paid curator, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, it's just this auto loop of, like, absorbing content. But then it also, you know... Because you are cutting down, uh, ostensibly cutting down on the amount of DVDs or Blu-rays that you own or whatever, you know, it kind of obscures the fact that it's, there's a kind of maximalism in the, um, you know, the server farms that it requires and the physical spaces that are required to Mm -hmm. maintain this entire very environmentally taxing system of of viewing things. And the thing about Netflix that's curious to me is I feel like almost every other streaming service is kind of predicated in you like not actually using it to its full capabilities. Amazon, I feel like, you know, has all this content, but they make it really hard to sort through and really hard to find things because I don't think they want you to watch everything because then they have to spend more money if you're watching everything on, on the service. Whereas Netflix, you know, they immediately keep you going into more content. Yeah, but also,
1: like, the, I guess, this, like, religion of minimalism, as it is kind of just, like, gone on in the internet in terms of, like, if you look at the minimalism subreddit, there's, like, a very, like, articulated and very much kind of, I guess, like, an affect is yeah. maybe the best way to describe it. The way people, like, portray minimalism in their lifestyle and everything like that, or at least the way people will promote themselves as living minimalists. There's always this kind of object fetish Absolutely. The, the meaningful objects and everything like that and people also do this in media collection in general like record collecting has become a thing in the last couple of years steelbook steelbooks but also like i mean in film culture like there's like this uh supreme value or supreme like warmth that people attribute to celluloid and i'm not saying that's wrong but also i'm saying yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah the experience of a celluloid viewing versus the experience of a digital projection are given two very different valuations um and i understand those are two different experiences but also like there's very much like a the tangibility and the old ways things were done are given this very uh a supreme echelon over like whatever the newest thing is but to like watch something on netflix there's such like an absolute like there's like a total absence of intention that goes with it or at least like when you're talking about like the act of scrolling through and everything it's so easy to just like slip into a movie because if you idle for too long to think about it it'll say so this is what you want all right i'm going to go and start playing the trailer or i'm going to go ahead and just start the movie right now and everything's going to fade away and you just unintentionally slipped into watching V for Vendetta or something
0: yeah i mean it's like it netflix doesn't even give you the option of watching a trailer like Amazon and Hulu do it's it's just the movie you have to start watching the movie if you idle on it Um, and then if you even watch you know 10 seconds of it on accident it will show up in your history as like a thing to continue watching and it's like I didn't actually feel like uh you know watching Brooklyn's Finest like right now I'm not in the mood for that But it will be there to remind me. Um, And I think that what you point out about the like now the greater evaluation of some physical forms of media now that there's the sort of scarcity about them brings up something really important because Netflix is very much in the physical media business. I mean, you look at Roma, you know, a film shot digitally on um, a sensor on a camera sensor that is, you know, supposed to emulate air quotes, like 65 millimeter film stock, but it's just really digital, um, you know, was released uh, on a 70 millimeter print. They did the same thing with Oakjaw, struck 35 millimeter prints of Oakjaw movie that was also shot digitally, which there's really not any reason to do that. Like yeah. if a movie is just kind of standard digital, like there's not going to be any really added benefit to making a film print of that. But because because their theatrical releases are so limited of their original movies, they have to turn it into this, like, physical, big, splashy event.
1: Yeah, like, here in Nashville, like, the non-corporate theater that shows a lot of, like, limited-run movies and a lot of repertory stuff also, like, has kind of a partnership with Netflix in a way. Yeah. Like, the it's called the Bell Court, but they got, like... Uh, Martin Scorsese's they're both Martin Scorsese movies but they got like the Bob Dylan documentary which makes sense to show in Nashville and then they're also getting like the Irishman for a week and it's strange because I went to see a movie there like last week and there's a preview for the Irishman that goes on and then at the very end it says available on Netflix yeah. this day after like the theatrical release thing so I mean even beyond just like the tangible object of like a film reel also like being in like the business of the the cinema space that's
0: i mean that's ultimately kind of what netflix is at the end of the day it's like in the space business i feel like it's
1: more in the vibe i mean
0: yeah but they go hand in hand don't they you know um the space in which the vibe you have to have a space for a vibe to happen
1: which came first
0: wow the vibe or the space in which the vibe was i don't know but you know you mentioning the logo playing at the end of the irishman trailer like i actually i forgot that i saw a 35 millimeter print of Orson Welles' is The Other Side of the Wind. Um, it had the Netflix on it? And it had the Netflix logo. So I saw the Netflix logo literally on film, which was just this insane cognitive dissonance of this, like, the most digital image I can think of, the Netflix logo. It didn't have the cha-chung thing. It was, like, a different, like, fancier kind of logo, more prestigious maybe. Um,
1: I feel like the way I would want to watch The Irishman, though, if I go see it at the Court, would honestly be them booting up a roku stick hooked up to the projector signing into their account then scrolling over to the irishman clicking it and then it starts playing or
0: just buying like one of those unlocked like uh jailbroken uh like amazon fires coming preloaded with all the streaming services just get one of those um that was
1: what the one i got from my brother was but he like (laughs) upgraded to another one a while back so that's why he hadn't been using this one and was down to sell it and all mm-hmm. the stuff, like the the community who's doing all of this like torrent streaming and everything has since like moved on to other stuff, or they've been like mm-hmm. updated out of being able to use the versions that were on that, that fire stick. Oh, damn,
0: Yeah. So on the, on the Netflix, uh, space and vibes point, I'm reminded of several years ago, you and I, uh, trying out virtual reality, a virtual reality headset and going just because there weren't a lot of, where do we, ch- oh, I remember this. Yeah. Later. Um, and going into the Netflix app uh, on the VR headset, um, which is this yeah. fake room where you're like on a couch, there's a coffee table. It's in, in front like of you. a like an alpine cabin though or yeah, something. Yeah, like in Telluride or something. Like you look out, there are snowy mountain peaks, you know, some kind of dim, moody lighting, like some fake but then film there are magazines like, on the coffee table, I think, and then some posters yeah. of some Netflix movies or something.
1: Yeah. And then whenever you click play. This room goes dark, the fire goes out, I think, underneath the screen yeah. where this movie is mounted over the fireplace. And then you just watch the movie. But it's funny, though, because actually the YouTube app, this was on like a Google. A, it was on a Google Pixel, like yeah. there. Their, it was the first generation of it, but they had like their phone headset thing where you could do VR on your Google Pixel. And the YouTube app on it was actually just like the total opposite in terms of like. Uh, I guess Netflix and viewing is, like, this warm experience, very, like, a cozy thing. You're inside when it's warm and it's cold outside and all that. But the YouTube app is, like, you're just in this, like, black concrete room with just an uh, unadorned screen just directly in front of you that you can enlarge and and make smaller at your will. No,
0: it's like the, the Netflix app, you know, the colors from whatever you're watching sort of seep into the room a little bit, the light. Like, there's a fake kind of light effect going off the screen like there would be if you were watching something in the dark at home. But the YouTube is just like it feels like you're in a fucking CIA black site or something just like with the uh, blinders on just looking straight ahead um, at whatever yeah. you decide to watch. I have one more point I guess
1: about like I guess digital hoarding, minimalism articulated through like holy objects basically. In terms of digital media and even digital ownership like it's still this like very intensely mediated process where i guess for an example on twitter i like replied to a guy who was giving out game codes for this new game and i was one of the randomly selected people so he deems me a code for it i downloaded on my playstation then i get home after work that day and i was like i'm gonna try out this game but i go to do it and like there's some weird like playstation network error to sign into their online service it wasn't wrong with like my my internet service at my house it was playstation's service something was going on with the account but it uses that to authenticate digital purchases. So like I wasn't able to play the game that, I mean, even though I was given a code for it, it's a purchase code. Like I, I legally obtained this game, but because you did not break the law, I did not break the law. You are, you are not a crook goodness. But <laughs> even though I went through all this process and everything, because something was happening with PlayStation service that they used to authenticate everything. Like I wasn't able to play it. And I mean, that's, something that a lot of these streaming services and media companies in general don't i don't know they just don't ever plan for the fact that like sometimes you're just offline or sometimes like they fuck up and you planning your whole life around their convenient service isn't always like a convenient thing
0: yeah i mean that's you know to marine condo again you know like you said you can't own that i mean i don't think you can own most netflix original things i think like the first season or like a couple house, of season. Of cards, yeah, house of cards orange is
1: the new black that kind of stuff for the first couple
0: seasons was on blu-ray yeah i mean i'm sure there's like a Lilyhammer dvd out there somewhere yeah
1: and like i'm sure the irishman is going to get a really fancy like boutique blu-ray
0: treatment you know oh i'm sure but i mean the the you know the the most unownable netflix thing is the black mirror movie bandersnack from the beginning of this year which is basically just this like new kind of surveillance system for monitoring consumer choices like Netflix is. I mean, the way it functions is kind
1: of like old games like night trap or even like dragon's lair where it's this like compulsively interactive video. And so, but since it's that, and since it's basically an index of videos that Mm -hmm. I'm sure is written in a way that only like Netflix's streamer is able to actually like read and navigate. So it, it's something that you can't really even pirate unless you just pirate somebody watching the whole thing and going through every possible path (laughs) just doing like a let's play of it basically oh my
0: god that's honestly kind of an incredible idea
1: but the movie itself like constantly loops back on itself if you make the wrong choice right
0: at least in the version that i watched i only did it once because i fucking hated it i was just like immediately like when it you could make the wrong choices and it would like punish you i was like no 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 i'm out of this Uh, yeah and I was just pissed off the whole time Um, but version I got the end you know shows some like Netflix programmer with this big whiteboard with all of these drawn out kind of thumbnails and this whole sort of like programming architecture for how this choose your own video database works so it's really just Bandersnatch is just kind of this like meta streaming service really I keep saying the word meta a lot but you know it's a good prefix I understand it it
1: seems like something or at least maybe not seems but the way it functions is essentially like it renders the relationship Netflix envisions with like user and content as always having the service and their streamer and all their verification checks in between and like device limits and stuff as being the things you have to go through to get to the content instead of you
0: just being able to use it. Netflix is also always trying to correct your viewing behavior in some way because most of the time when you finish watching something and the credits roll for a second and then it, and you know, trailer in 20 seconds starts for El Camino or whatever the new Netflix thing is. It's usually a Netflix original that's next. So they are really trying to encourage you to go back to, you know, their own well. So like you're but sort I, of reprimanded for making a wrong decision in Bandersnatch, they are trying to adjust the path yeah. you take on their service. But
1: yeah, it like totally renders that that intermediation and the relationship between user and content, it makes that into like an actual Netflix original itself. I mean, they promote their Netflix originals to because it's new stuff and they're trying to convince people not to leave, but also like probably because they're trying to get people to take the on ramp to get away from like, like content that's about to leave to the 20 other streaming services being started up by the major media production or production corporations.
0: Yeah, they are. I feel like trying to sometimes make you a little bit, ignorant of the like absences that are there like they try to do their best to make it make you forget about the movies that aren't on their service um mm-hmm. which i feel like to as we sort of wrap up to go back to other kinds of streaming, like we were talking about in the beginning you know not just streaming for movies S- streaming for movies why did i say that that sounds like fishing or something like i'm gonna go stream me some movies uh yeah i'm gonna stream well, for i some mean people People will,
1: like, say, like, I was just watching some Hulu, watching some Netflix. Right. Yeah,
0: my interests are Netflix. But, you know, I feel like music streaming and Spotify in particular, because that's the streaming service that I use, it has a harder time, like, making you forget the gaps. Like, you threw an example down uh, in some notes as we oh. were planning this that I thought was, like, a you know, just a song that's, like, you know, the black the perpetually blacked out song on an album that yeah. there's not copyright clearance for um, or like you have to buy the whole album to get access to this song. Right. Uh, what, what song is that Seth? Jeez.
1: This one was Maria. I'm drunk. It's the Travis Scott song off that radio <laughs> album, but it had Justin Bieber and young thug on it. And I can only assume it was like some problem with like Justin Bieber's management or something like that. Yeah. As the reason the song wasn't on streaming services, like the album came out in what, like 2014
0: or 15. Yes. 2014. No, 2015. It came out then, but, like, only this year did it get put on, like, Spotify. Yeah, and for YouTube, you know, or it was on SoundCloud and YouTube for ages, but, like, pitch shifted um, Mm -hmm. a little bit. No, I found
1: a a version that wasn't pitch shifted. Also, I ended up finding, like, just using, like, Discover Weekly and stuff. It would slowly rope in, like, fake Spotify artist pages that were just uploading, like, mixtape cuts that weren't clear sample wise to get put on the official artist page or i found one that was this exact same
0: song but under like a young thug nickname made into an artist page the other you know album length example that uh something we both love uh rich gang's the tour part one which a lot of those songs are there are some that are under rich gang on spotify there's some that are under rich homie kwan or young thug individually and then there are some that are like rich homie kwan yeah, or like, you know, it it's like, like rich art. homie gang or like young homie baby or something like that. Just some kind of arrangement of the the words and their names. You know, and I recently I was like, I don't know, the past couple of months, I've been thinking a lot about like music that I liked earlier this decade. Um, that is not streaming, you know, a lot of vaporwave and kind of like, you know, like the rich gang mixtape and like, you know, St. Pepsi or Macintosh Plus artists like that. Uh, whose who's stuff for sample reasons usually, or just because they were so underground, you know, were only on like MediaFire or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. I have just I've just been mostly streaming on Spotify for the past couple of years, but recently, you know, I got the itch to re-listen to some of those things. So partially motivated, in fact, by the like Pitchfork Best of the Decade stuff, seeing some things that like weren't on those lists, you know, it made me remember a few albums I forgot about. So I like you know went to go sync my iPod Classic or listen to my iPod Classic and. Half of the screen was busted. So I Jeez. put a couple albums on my uh, actual you know, iTunes on my iPhone for the first time in a while. And it's just like, I don't know, it's very weird, like, the, the difference then in, in movie streaming versus music streaming there, where, like, I will buy discs or whatever or torrent something. But it's like there's more, there are more ways, I guess, that, like, music streaming can kind of be... Gamed or be you know manipulated by users where like fake things can be uploaded, and that can I guess yeah. happen with like Amazon where there's not really quality control as much in the Prime selection, but on Netflix yeah. it's just this total gated community. Um, but
1: also like it's weird because Spotify originally started. I get that like every kind of streaming service and in general like every Silicon Valley company goes through like five different like mission statements yeah. just as like different venture capital comes along that is like well if you could tie in. This thing, I bet that would bring in more users and stuff like that. So I guess kind of the the chase for bigger audiences mm-hmm. and bigger returns on investment um, always change the the goal of different services or how they function on a fundamental level. But Spotify, like when they first started, originally had a thing where you could upload your entire music library and essentially use your home computer, yeah. like a Plex server that allows you to stream from from any computer anywhere. So you could put those free mixtapes or things released on Bandcamp or different things that weren't hadn't gone through the general like industry hoops like a Spotify release had you could then stream that wherever you were
0: because it was in your personal library. I mean when I was back in college when I did a a rap radio show I would at that point because you know you could put local files on Spotify playlists I would usually make a playlist for my show out of a mixture of like things that were on Spotify that I didn't want to go buy or get otherwise. Or, and, you know, files that I had downloaded, things that weren't on Spotify, you know, mixtapes from DatPiff or SoundCloud or wherever. And it's just, like, increasingly, you know, that is cut out of the service. You know, I guess iTunes is ending, right, at some point?
1: It's, like, not a, it's not a media hub anymore. Now it's being broken off into individual packages. Right. Which which I'm interested to see what that does to, I mean, they have, like, an Apple Music one. Yeah, But still, I don't know how it's going to work because when my phone broke, as I mentioned earlier, for like a week or something, I was waiting on a new one. So I had to like break out my iPod Classic to listen to music oh, yeah. and had to synchronize synchronize all that stuff. I mean, they obviously don't really support the iPod Classic anymore, but I don't really know how the city would interact with like their new like branching things. I mean, if I wanted to put movies on an iPod Classic and watch them there, I don't know if I would go to a movies app or yeah. If, if that all synchronizes in the same thing, but I'm sure they also just don't care about that anymore. Because who's watching a movie
0: on an iPod Classic? I know. I mean, thinking about, I mean, thinking about even considering using my iPod Classic to watch movies versus con- using it now to listen to music again. It's just like I would not even think about watching stuff. Although it is, f- but also like in researching how to upgrade
1: this thing, I found out that the there's a pretty like dormant because they did everything they could, kind of like open source firmware community for the iPod classic. And so I'm sure that I could get a loader on there that would immediately just let me drag everything I want on there and it would do it and it wouldn't have to go through all the weird, do you want to update? Do you want to do all this kind of iTunes checking? So I'm sure it's much simpler and much easier that way, but it's just in terms of looking at it as Apple's thing that has been abandoned, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, and the iPod classic is now just like an artifact in the way that a streaming service because of its instability and all the changing rights and things cannot be where like, I, can go, I could go to my iPod Classic, and I would find, like, when it was still working, uh, I found, you know, episodes of, like, that were free on iTunes of different TV shows that were still on there. You know, like, the pilot of New Girl was on my iPod Classic, and um, this Kiefer Sutherland show on Fox. Was it Touch? Touch, yes. I had, like, the pilot like... of Touch on my iPod after Classic. After
1: he left 24, and after, like, Lost ended, and they were just, everybody was searching for this, like... The mind-bending network shows yeah. and flash forward Vague, and vaguely spiritual yeah. v jericho v there's one called like the river too but like that type of show
0: so you know that can preserve it but the netflix all the services are just like sand they just blow mm-hmm. away
1: it is weird though because now in terms of how people find things on streaming services i guess maybe this would be an in note time back yeah. to twitter eventually but the way people discover things on there like i feel like these streaming services know they're just like so difficult to develop bearings within that they don't even have like navigation tools built into the thing anymore like their streamer they have them on twitter where they have like essentially different like blogs and websites where they just pay writers to talk about their original content or talk about this important historical movie that's now coming here and criterion channel does this too
0: yeah, I mean, there's this whole sub-industry now of so many sites. Their entertainment sections or film sections or media sections are almost exclusively, like, the best movies coming and going from Netflix this month. And that's been happening for, like, years. It's like and it's thing. just all, you know, pretty much all the same. I mean, there are a few, uh, you know, more specialized columns, like... Um, my friend uh Kristen Kim has a great streaming column at the site Man Repeller that's, you know, more curated like individual picks, but most of the time it's just these straight up lists mm-hmm. that, you know, dozens of sites just kind of post the same thing. So it's just outsourced, mm-hmm. you know, that act of letting you know what's there.
1: But now like even like Netflix has like their like their sci fi like Picks, Twitter, yeah. or something like that, where they pay a writer to go through and pick out stuff and make tweet threads, explain why it's good. But also, like, there's so many people just outside of like the streaming industry, and just in terms of like online film culture or something, you'll have people just like posting screenshots and doing this exact same labor that now Netflix does for their own service that they can't make more navigable inside. The yeah, stores. I mean, I,
0: I, it's happened a, a you know, a lot um, recently, but just a recent example of, like, seeing a discourse on Twitter happen because a movie was on a streaming service, like, when all the Austin Powers movies got added to Netflix earlier this year, just a bunch of people started, you know, that I follow on Twitter started watching them, and I did too, Um, and so it's just this, like, this kind of ends up spreading to other platforms, and so you see people tweeting about Austin Powers out of context and don't know it's because it's on Netflix, but everybody's talking about Austin Powers. So you want to watch Austin Powers. Then you go on Letterboxd and you see the like popular with your friends and it's Austin Powers. People are reviewing Austin Powers and you're like, well, I guess I got to watch Austin Powers now. Yeah.
1: But it's also funny because like the kind of one of the original promoted dreams of like Twitter and maybe making it like a haven for like corporate advertising and corporate promotion that it is now where like people clowning corporate, PR accounts has now even like gone to like a fourth phase or something like that where people like acknowledge that they're a social media worker at the place and like the Carl's Jr. Twitter will say this is the social media guy and they'll like make jokes about that too but the initial promise that always seemed like a funny thing until it was like the real thing was the hashtag join the conversation (laughs) thing right like that being a way that like companies would promote stuff and try to pretty like wooden in their approach, like try to get people to join in on a conversation, just asking questions. Yeah. And now Netflix will like post something, tweet about it, and get people like talking about it and just doing all their takes. I mean, you know?
0: and and that's the thing. The so much of what they produce is ultimately just kind of fodder for a very short online discourse. And you know, like El Camino, <laughs> the Breaking Bad movie. But and... I mean, this isn't even like limited right. to right, Netflix, right, right, though. Right. No, like.
1: I, I think, like, the, the event of the Joker is going to be more remembered than the actual movie. Yeah, you know?
0: no, I mean, I guess it's just kind of how cultural production works a little bit now. And, I mean, things are always made at some level to be discussed and talked about, but it's just accelerated, like we've been saying, you know, all of these kind of trends are. But it's just, like, you know, very weird to revisit Netflix originals that people talked about for a couple days all of that dies down like I went through this weird phase earlier this year of like watching some just like sh- junky streaming documentaries and like watched that like Jim and Andy mm-hmm. Jim Carrey and Andy Kaufman man on the moon documentary which like nobody is watching anymore mm-hmm. you know it was just like a you know showed up on Netflix and people watched it for a little bit well it's funny because now you'll
1: have streaming services acknowledge this problem kind of where originally like to them even though like binge is like an unhealthy metaphor binge watching was healthy for their business because it gets people like obsessed with something compulsively coming back you know in a weekend they've watched an entire show and been like i can't leave netflix because you know it gave me all this content for like however much a month and they keep doing shows like this so you get kind of repeated weekends like that you
0: know but the between two ferns movie
1: or whatever yeah oh god but now streaming services are doing like weekly releases In like a weekly release pattern that was determined by like TV broadcast schedules when everybody was going to be on the same schedule. But now they're adapting that again because it, it creates that extended water cooler conversation instead of a flash in the pan Twitter discussion that is going to get replaced by another thing next week.
0: Yeah, it's all that's kind of what it comes down to is this like very commodified and industrialized water cooler kind of discussion. And really, it's just like because it happens so quickly now, it's like that is only what the media objects sort of end up existing for a little bit. Because, I don't know, if like a, a TV show is really ongoing and the discussion is really spread out over time, there it's a little bit easier to like think critically about maybe the quality or what's valuable about it. But when it happens so fast. Or sometimes it'll make you stop yeah. watching the show
1: when you have time to think about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Because you'll be like, I don't really want to spend this time doing this this week. I'd rather do something else. Yeah,
0: no, it, it really, you maybe don't watch all of the show for that reason, because you lose interest. Whereas the sustained binge watch, there is no time to lose interest. And then it's over. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. But so we were talking about those Disney Plus yeah. images earlier, looking like screenshots and things that are easily able to spread. But the same way, like I'll find movies all the time because people on Twitter start a discussion about it, or they'll post screenshots, and those are really easy things to, to retweet. Because I mean, I might be more likely to retweet screenshots of a movie I really enjoy that are really vivid and yeah. communicate what makes the movie so so different or something more than I would like a full 280 character tweet or a, even worse, like a thread about it, you know?
0: Absolutely. I mean, it, it kind of goes back to a little bit at the very beginning of the show um, when I was sort of laying out the thesis. I mean, talking about like stone viewing and, you know, moments kind of standing out. The screenshot is sort of like almost kind of a metaphor for that. Like, you know, this very... Yeah. Just like snatching these frames out of the film, out of context of the kind of the movement or whatever, just like reducing... The, the, the entire experience of the movie to those intense images but even then like there are video
1: games that spread in the same way much less screenshots actually though but like a lot of them through like gifs that don't have sound at all or anything like that like the big examples like the untitled goose game that recently came out that is called the untitled goose game because they put out just like a teasing little gif of the game and then people took to it so much and got so excited by this GIF and were like, I want to play this game that they just called it the untitled Goose Game to the point that it became enough of a like a meme that they just kept that as the actual title and now it made like millions of dollars mm-hmm. off of this thing. But I mean that's that's a way that like indie games spread. There was like a
0: Lizzo like remix of the goose, like goose game footage that so was like somebody edited juice to be like to sound like goose and then put it over footage from the game so you know yeah i thought you meant that she officially did one and i was like no no that would be a little wild um but yeah and so it just like naturally kind of mutates i mean memes are viruses ultimately you know they just spread like that and and die out sometimes and come back a little bit different that's really kind of what it is i feel like probably at this point we should maybe wrap things up. Do you have any final thoughts on streaming and how you engage with it? Uh, I think you should start torrenting. That's true. Do do like TJ time six. You know, get on the dark web, get a VPN, and just like rip all that shit. Get a hard drive for the yeah. apocalypse. I mean, we're we're start we over. are media survivalists out here. Just like every anything and everything. All of those, like, terrible Disney Channel original movies that are going to be on Disney Plus, I'm just going to get those off YouTube, put them on a hard drive, put it in a storage, like, freezer. Yeah. and. But you got to get, like,
1: extra hard drives to refresh it just in case, like, any exactly. of the parts of the hard drive die
0: off in the process of being not used. We're backing the fuck up. 2020 is all about backing up your media. I haven't backed yeah. up my computer in something like 900 days. Which is real yeah. dangerous, like Iron Mountain is about to get loaded.
1: With the like Minutemen, Motocross, yeah.
0: Pollyanna. Oh my God! Oh, Motocross, look at the image. Thirteenth <laughs> um, year, oh Smart God. House. I can't. The Big Green, Smart House, directed by Lavar Burton. Fun fact. Wow. Yeah. An yeah, really, um, So, on that note, it's been really fun. I think doing this first episode of Huntbox the Cinema. Yeah, I had
1: I had fun talking. I don't really know if this makes for good listening material, but I guess if you're listening to this right now, it was passable. We'll see.
0: I mean, I'll I'll try to do my best little edit on it and make it passable radio. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. So yeah, uh, you can find Seth on Twitter um, at ASAPSunscreen. Anywhere else? Uh no just the ASAP sunscreen. I guess everything
1: else just kind of ends up linking back to there at some point. So that's the hub. Awesome. And my
0: hub is at Trillmore Girls. Um hopefully, you know, if this project continues there will be a hotbox, the cinema hub. Um I think I would, you know, like to get an email address going so we could maybe get some uh mail fan going. mail going. Maybe I'll set up a hotline, a hotbox hotline. Um, you know, like one 420
1: there's one that I listen to a podcast uh, that has like a Google voice open oh, wow. and you can get you can get messages to it, but people call it like a regular phone number. Damn.
0: OK, that's a good idea. Ideas. I'm going to try to get that set up and, you know, get those. We can play those voicemails, get some voice other voices on here. Um, yeah. Is there a
1: time or condition that you would want people to call in and leave a voicemail?
0: Honestly, at their no. worst, at their best. Whenever you feel when it feels right, just go with it. Yeah, I think that our next episode, um, we're going to be talking Gemini Man. Mm
1: -hmm. Episode two is Gemini Man. Episode
0: two, Gemini, double, seeing double, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, Attack of the Clones. Wow, episode two of Hotbox of Cinema, Attack of the Clones. That will be the title probably. Guns Um, of the Patriots. (laughs) (laughs) Attack of the Clones 2, Guns of the Patriots. Yeah, we're going to get in Metal Gear, I think. Uh, Go sicko mode with it. Probably. 120 FPS mode. 420 FPS mode.
1: Yeah, it's 144 hertz G-Sync. Some gamer shit in the movie.
0: Yeah, so on that note, um, keep smoking. Yeah. Have a good one. Goodness.